Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Wood Talk. Turning woodworkers into knitters since 2007. Here are your hosts, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is Wood Talk, show number 472 for May 27th, 2020. On today's show, we're going to talk about finishing. I don't know how far we're going to take it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about different types of finishes, what we like to use, what we don't like to use. Uh, but before we get into all that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com to check out their spring stock up sale, which includes all of the tools and accessories that you need for your shop. The sale runs through May 28th, so don't miss it. And it's time for Matt's Patreon message. Yay! If you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This week, we want to thank Rick Urschel, Brett Hale, this Marcus. <laughs> yep, it's like Marcus. one one name names throwing yep. me off. Cole Mason, Mike S. Oh, there we go. One letter in the last name. Cunningham Woodworks and Andrew Walker. All right. Hey. Very good. Thank you so much for helping us out, people. We really appreciate it. Did I just turn off the music? Don't mind me. Yeah. Don't ever know. Smooth. We're, yeah. All, we're well done there. Thank you. Great. Um, so we're going to get into some news. You know, it's woodworking. There's not a lot that happens, right? So once in a while, something happens. You go, oh, it's news. Let's talk about it. <laughs> this is this is barely news. It's, a, it's something that uh, Nicole texted me uh, just as a, a point of interest is that IWF, that's the big woodworking industry show that happens in Atlanta every two years. Remember, it's Atlanta and then it goes to Vegas for AWFS back and forth. So this is the Atlanta show is going on as planned. And this takes what? place in August. What? And now, I mean, you guys know this whole COVID-19 thing has been really, really difficult. And especially for trade shows, it's uh, it's done a number on them. Uh, so this is taking place in August. 
And obviously no one can predict the future where this thing is going to go. And I certainly, not on this show, we're not getting into a like socio-political um, COVID-19 debate here. Uh, what I do want to talk about is kind of, let's ask around the, the table here, would you go? Like, let's say you had, let's say you would normally have gone to this show, be it like Matt, I know yeah, uh, no. you sometimes go with Triton. I sometimes go with uh, Type Bond uh, and Shannon would sometimes go to be like, what are all these things that you plug in the wall? <laughs> what do I do with this? <laughs> Directly into the yeah. power grid. The funny thing is actually Shannon probably would have more familiarity oh, with yes. the things there than we would just because of his day job. But <laughs> yeah, when I go, it's, it's as an employee of Jacobs and McIlvain, not as the Renaissance woodworker, it's right, a very right. different, different business trip for me. So let's say you had the option to not go. Maybe it was a, you know, a business thing was what was getting you there, but you had the option to opt out. Uh, we're talking late August here. And I guess if, you know, if, if you're to believe some of the predictions on this thing late summer, when everything's at its hottest, this might be the best time to do something like this. So would you feel comfortable going to a big event like this? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. there, there's a little bit, um, and, and Mark, I think you can you can side with me on this. There's a little bit of a germaphobe in me anyway. Yeah. Like when I go to <laughs> just any event, you know, all the constant handshaking. There's so much and, touching. And, I get sick. Like every time I went to woodworking in America, when I went to fine working live, you know, I'm sick yeah. when I get back, you know, it's usually just a cold, something minor, but travel gets my immune system screwy. Yeah. So right there, then I'm shaking hands with a bunch of people woodworking in America, 2011. I actually had a booth in the marketplace. I was so sick for like two weeks after that because <laughs> yeah. it was just like constant handshaking and they're very loud. So when you talk to people, you're like much closer Yep. Yeah. Like in a quiet room, if you stood that close to another dude and talked to him, they'd be like, what the hell, man? Get away from me. <laughs> right, right. But in a loud room, like in order to hear one another, you're like, you're you're intimately close. And yeah, totally. Yeah. So I'm already a little bit like leery of these large events. <clears throat> yeah. B, I mean, my good. employer probably would say, no, you can't go because if you do go, then you can't come back to the office. Yeah, whole, whole liability like We have thing, a quarantine yeah. thing running here as well. So sure. yeah. now to, to me, I wonder... The shows came back a little bit, you know, but they were hurting like five years ago mm -hmm. and they've started to come back. This might be one of the nails in the coffin for these shows. It's beginning well, to the end, I think. Even as a vendor, you got to think like, is this the show for us to go to? These things aren't uh, cheap to, to put on. No. You've got, oh, no. you've got a, you got a plan, you got a booth to set up. You've got people preparing for this potentially all year long as, as you, you move up to this event. And then you got to pay for the booth space and then you have to try to decide. And they probably were already wondering, is this worth our time and effort to do this? Um, you're right. I mean, I feel like this, this may be one of those things that could be really damaging to a big show like this. I know in like the electronics world, gaming and things like that, tons of conferences are all moving to some sort of virtual conference. I think it's a little easier to do in the yeah. world of video games where you could do, you know, uh, previews and stuff like that and have people do uh, talks. But uh, in the case of a tool show, like this, it's a little bit more difficult for them. So I don't know. This is, it's interesting news. Um, if you guys are going, let us know. Um, again, I don't want to get too much into the stuff that gets people's, um, you know, just people upset <laughs> when we talk about this. There's a lot to be upset about on both sides of the argument here. Um, but obviously- I think that this would be a great opportunity for somebody to venture out into the virtual space. I yeah. think that there could be like- this is a different type of show, but I, I mentioned Woodworking in America before. Essentially, Woodworking in America was a series of lectures, you right. know, and a lot of people went for the marketplace. You could do 
Fine Woodworking Live. You could do WIA, not really handworks, but you could do those types of shows in a virtual environment. And oh, we sure. even talked yeah. about it doing a wood talk thing at one mm-hmm. point, you know, doing a live thing, but then recording it. Um, I also think for for um, IWF, AWFS, there's a lot of, of other things besides machinery. There's a lot of software in in the woodworking world, cabinet software, CAD software, modeling software, inventory management software, um, and, and it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, you're seeing a major turnover in the lumber industry. You can roll the lumber industry update music if you want here, but this is there's a, a lot of people who are frankly retiring. You know, they're 70 some years old and they've been purchasing for the last 40, 50 years for this company. And now they're handing it over to some 20 something, 30 something punk. And yeah. that punk's like, hey, hey, I mean, <laughs> they're all punks. Hey. No good punks. <laughs> but, but, but they look at like the pen and paper method that's being used to purchase lumber and manage inventory. And they're like, ah, uh-uh, that ain't happening. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm so a punk. now yeah, in, that, in that context, big time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's all kinds of software companies coming forward and saying, here is a custom solution for your mill workshop, for your lumber yard. And this would be a phenomenal opportunity for companies like that to say, to publicly say, we are not going to AWFS or IWF. Instead, we're going to do a virtual summit showcasing, you know, the variety of solutions, software solutions for whatever. And of course, you know, they're showcasing their primary product, but they could also get together with other vendors and do like a best of breed thing. This is the marketing guy who's starting to salivate, thinking this is a ripe environment yeah. to actually turn people away and say the responsible thing, kind of kind of passively shame <laughs> the other vendors who go. <laughs> but, you know, the responsible thing is to do a virtual summit. And, oh, by the way, here's the next generation of, you know, large industrial millwork operations. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there are ways to present these things, too, even if you don't. Uh, have the ability to see a tool in in person while we have video. So if you know you could have preloaded video uh, showing a new tool and demonstrating something new. But I, I have a feeling a lot of what makes we, we're already in a point where these trade shows are sort of outdated, right? We've 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 got technology to move past person to person interaction. But I feel like as human beings, a lot of times we want to have that face to face. That's how sh- a lot of times how strong business connections can be made is actually talking right. to someone in person. So like the fact that this show still exists is kind of a sign that, yeah, you could, you could substitute that virtual summit, but is it enough? Is it, is it going to do everything that this other in-person show was able to do? I don't, and I just don't know if that's the case, but I just, I I'm, I'm more curious to see like what the show even is when it happens. Like, yeah. What is this going to look like? I mean, they're crowded, right? It's very, well, I don't know if it can be crowded now, but well, this time it might people not people actually show up. Um, but it's loud in there. Like you, like you can't social distance because you can't hear the person you're talking to. That's right. Yeah, it's not even people loud. It's machines loud. So yeah. well, you they have, have like a nobody can run machines because everyone's trying to talk and be heard. Or Every, right. everyone could have like a little speaker around their neck. And a <laughs> I was going to say they're going to hand out like aviation headsets. Yeah, and mics and and <laughs> you know they'll all be wearing masks anyway, so we'll just look like you know fighter pilots. Yeah, That'd be everything cool. could. Uh, everybody could just have their phone number. On their chest. And if you want to talk to the person, you just call them. <laughs> you just sext them. I mean, text them. Yeah. Hey, so I, I don't know. I'll be very interested to see how this plays out. The funny thing was I had already um, kind of informed our sponsors that this was not a travel year for me because I've got a, had a whole bunch of other travel dates on the schedule, which all got postponed. But I wasn't planning on going this year at all. So I don't really have that difficult decision. Uh, but I'm very interested to hear from our audience. If you were going to go, are you still going? 
And if you're a company, you know, especially as a vendor, is this the show you want to spend that money on? Or are you going to skip this this year and go <laughs> go to Vegas next year? I think for me, it's a strong maybe. And if I do go, I will not be comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> well, every, everything is a wait and see, right? I'll go, but I won't like it. Uh, well, look, I'll be honest. I've seen Matt at these shows. He generally doesn't look comfortable to begin with. So. <laughs> I'll be scowling the whole time. And I'll be hey, mean to people. At least at your booth, you like have it all like you know, cushy and whatever. You got a nice little chair to sit at. That's right, I do. Sit at. I got to stand the whole time. I actually get booth hours, and Matt just works for Triton while he's there. So. <laughs> I hang out, and then like, where else am I gonna go? Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing else to do there. So, <laughs> actually, what I do is when I'm not at Typebond, I go hang out at the Triton booth with there Matt. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will, I'll well, miss that. It doesn't happen this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting my, to see. My mark so. time. Uh, yeah, they actually do have a whole page here if you want to go check it out. COVID-19 show preparedness and they're uh, explaining some of the things that they're doing, the partnerships that they have to try to make this as safe as possible. Um, and I don't want to make it sound like we're, you know, dismissing the fact that they are taking the whole thing very seriously, trying to make it a safe environment for attendees. I think we're just kind of speculating on whether attendees want to attend and vendors <laughs> want to be part of this. Sometimes it's just easier. Like when I think about okay, do I want to run to Home Depot and get that thing? Well, I got to put on a mask. Then I got to like disinfect my hands. And it's like, it's a whole thing. I'm like, well, you know what? I don't need that liquid nails right now. I'm going to just buy talk to people. Yeah, I got to, I got to interact. It's a whole thing. And then I got to start going out there and judging people for not wearing masks and all that stuff. Put pants on. And then I got to be that guy. Pants on thing is usually the first thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, what a crazy time, huh? All right. So um, let's get into some kickback here. (laughs) <laughs> We've got. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's funny because it's like exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People. Yep. Uh, it uh, is. All right. But let's not do that. Let's not get there because you know everybody has. Well, an, everybody has an opinion. Let's just hope that eventually we'll all be judging people based upon the fashion statement their mask makes. Ooh, Ooh very nice. Oh, well, Nicole, did you really uh, Nicole, go out, Matt? Ha. Huh. <laughs> Nicole has already decided she's been sewing masks. Uh, she's we've already decided that if I have to go to a conference or something, or or even even if Matt goes, we're gonna sew custom logoed <laughs> face masks with our logos on there. Uh, just yeah. as promotion, it's it's promotional space. Might as well. Well, and you better believe that's the number one swag giveaway there too. <laughs> Everybody's yeah. gonna have branded masks given away at the booth. Get your wood whisper masks over here. All right, it was stickers. Now it's. It's dust masks. Yeah, we should do a mask trade thing. Like this whole oh, sticker oh, thing that's oh run course no, already. Shut up. Can we, no. start, <laughs> can we start trading masks? I want to do that. <laughs> That'd be good. All right, so let's get to our kickback. I got one here from, uh, from Matt about epoxy. Homies, this is Matt Scranton up here in Buffalo, New York. This is in response to Shannon is inspired by Mark for Matt the kayak homie. What I would do if I had the problem with epoxy on my flooring like that and it was sticking up and proud of the surface so much that it was bothering me is I would take my Dremel oscillating tool, put a carbide bit on it, and go to town with flattening out those things. Um, You you could probably cut through it pretty easily. Uh, It might take a little while, but I don't know that you're going to have too much of an issue. And you can rest assured that you can rest that bit right on top of your surface so you're not damaging the surface any further, especially if you try to pull out or pry off that uh, epoxy, I think you're going to have trouble getting that out without actually pitting out the floor. Um, Again, you didn't say if it was finished concrete or not, but that would be the approach that I would take. I wouldn't worry about trying to soften the surface. I wouldn't worry about trying to use a sander or any kind of other 
beater chisel or anything like that. I would take my multi-tool and just go to town. So hope that helps. Hope you have fun and hope you don't uh, hear this six months from now when it won't be useful anymore. (laughs) All right. See you guys. And thanks for not knitting. It's almost like he knows us really well. (laughs) He knows our habits. We play voicemails. I mean, if you you wrote it in. That's right. If you write it, it may never go on the show. Yeah. All right, so let's get to, uh, what's the next one here? J- that's, this is not a voicemail. This is a, a recommendation for a video. So Jason sent this in. He says there's a YouTube video on saw filer restoration for Matt's bandsaw blades. Now, I watched this. I kind of expected a video that was more focused on the filing, but it's just a restoration video on a filer. Is that correct? Right. Did you guys watch this? Well, yeah, I suppose what he's thinking since Matt's like restoring this milling machine, maybe yeah. he wants to take on another... <laughs> Another, another big tool. Yeah, no. Of course, Matt has already what publicly said. No, I just throw them out and order new ones because they're not <laughs> expensive. So yeah, I'm watching. I don't just think going, that's going to be happening. Yeah, I was like, I still don't think Matt's interested in filing his <laughs> uh, his saw blades. Oh, now, now they got grinders, so it's like faster yeah. and not manual. Yeah. Well, the, and the put the, it in and it does them all. I was so surprised by the price that you pay for a new blade that I'm like, you know what? There's no way I would spend the time <laughs> to sharpen if the replacement cost is that low. It's crazy. You could rent out space in the shop that the filer would take up and save more money. That's another reason why I haven't even bothered to even like this is for like education purposes Buy Mm -hmm. the sharpening stuff. This is more stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you got to put it somewhere. He's got room for all this stuff. I don't. (laughs) I just had this realization this weekend. I, I, or this past week, I posted it on Instagram too. Speaking of just like stuff that you look around and go, why do I have this? So (laughs) Jason, we're cleaning up the shop and organizing things. And then suddenly all of the stools in the shop were in the same that, spot. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Mark, there are two of us and actually soon to be one of us. Cause he's going back to Missouri. Um, why do we have so many stools? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. There's like, there's about six or seven re- like regular stools. And then two of those low rolly stools, like dentists use, uh, that type of stool. And, uh, and there's a brand new one in the box that I had purchased recently. Cause I thought it, it was like an Amazon special price and it was real fluffy, looked real comfortable. <laughs> like, why do I have all this? And you think about all the floor space, a stool takes up a good, what a square foot in the shop. And I've got like eight of them that don't need to be there. So it's like, you know what, man, you got a damn good point. See, that, that, that's the danger of having a large shop. You know, you can just, you have a corner that you can just throw stuff into and forget about. That's a good point. I don't, I don't have the space for that. Right. Yeah. If you throw a stool takes up way too much space, the junk, I think what you need to do is, is package up those stools and send them to April down in Texas. First of all, she's she's got the room. She's got space. She's got people. She's She's got got people to sit in those stools. Yeah. She's got butts for them stools. You got butts to put them in. Oh, the funny thing is it's uh, it's not even something that I do very often. I really don't sit in the shop all that often. If I'm sitting, uh, maybe if I'm drawing, you know, you or just or like, like to buy stools. Just say it. That's, yeah. that's what it comes down to. I have a stool addiction, apparently. So anyway, I thought that was Buffalo funny. Bills stool and <laughs> Dallas Cowboys stool. They all came with your subscription to Sports Illustrated. Uh, three of the them are Powermatic thing. stools. So they came with my subscription to Powermatic. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go to the next one. We got Andrew here and he's got kickback on cutting boards and Shannon's color issues. I'm going to call them a, a color fear, fear of colors. 
Hey guys, this is Andy from Central Pennsylvania calling with some kickback from the last couple episodes and a question. So first of all, thanks for the segment on um, dealing with cutting boards. Appreciate the the end grain isn't the end all and be all and also especially the finish discussion. I was one of those people who was doing mineral oil because everybody said just do that and I now have a better understanding of why I want to do a, a better finish. Um, in the next episode, we learned, by the way, I've solved a mystery. We know why uh, Shannon hates those uh, contrasting wood colors. His first experience with it was overdose. That box with every side a different color. No wonder you hate contrasting colors. You overdid it. You overdosed and you set yourself off of it forever. So maybe a little moderation comes back around. So I have a, actually a contrasting color question for you. Um, help me vote on this one. I'm going to be making the Guild Project Green and Green chest as a gift for people, uh, friends of mine just had a baby, and it's going to be a toy chest. So I'm going to be using a locally sourced Pennsylvania walnut that um, I have a ton of. So I'm not going to be getting any ebony. I don't have any ebony for the plugs, but I do have teak and I do have a bit of ipe. So what do you think on a walnut chest, teak or ipe for the plugs? Uh, and Shannon, you can abstain from the question if, if, you, if you don't like the contrast color too much. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks again. Thanks for not quitting or unquilting or not quilting or I don't remember what we're saying these days. Yeah. Uh, hurts. I was Shannon so worried he was going to say hard maple. <clears throat> I was like, well, I have some maple that I could use for those ebony plugs. I think I, that would be even worse. I've seen that. I have seen that. There are people who go, oh. and, and look, this works sometimes, right? You say, no, no. Here's a, here's a no. <laughs> hold on. Let no. me finish no, this. No, you, you have no, a color no, no, scheme. No. <laughs> You've got a color scheme and you go, well, what happens if I reverse that color scheme? Let reverse me go the opposite it, yeah. direction. And people do it. I've got a, uh, a, a green and green style mirror frame that I made with uh, maple and no, that's, that's going further in the contrast direction. Let me, let me go back to what I was saying. So you think, okay, let me reverse the scheme. Let me go lighter color with the plugs, darker color with the woods. And I've seen it a couple times. Gotta say, don't like it. <laughs> I do not <laughs> like it. Why is that? I can't figure it out. Like if you were to make a frame and again, as I've said, I don't hate walnut maple. I just hate it when it's overdone. Yeah. So like if you took a, a maple frame with walnut plugs, I think that would work but a walnut frame with maple plugs, exact same size, exact same proportions, I think would just look awful. Why it, is that? What does the reversal do? It's like the, it, well, it, you know what it is? It's like popular woodworking's Twitter stream. Like what is going on with the photos on their Twitter stream? <laughs> They're all in negative. What kind of parallel is this? <laughs> I, have, I don't even know what you're talking about though. They had something screwed up on their Twitter stream so that all the photos they posted look like a negative. Really? The color what? is all off. Really? Oh, it's fantastic. Like I, Megan Fitzpatrick and Chris Schwartz have been laughing their butts off publicly on Twitter about it the whole yeah. time because it's like, you know, Rome is burned and it's down, you know, but there's something about when you flip it and go in kind of a negative, it looks, just looks awful. It's, I don't know what it is. There, well, there must that's, be some design principle there that explains that, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think someone, I guess someone with an art background and who studies colors could, could probably tell us exactly why reversing a color in light and dark contrast, reversing it and having the majority of the color be the other one. And then the little mm -hmm. accent become, you know, have that situation reverse. There's gotta be some reason why just humans look at that and go, all right, let's say some humans look at that and say that that doesn't look good. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. And, and by the way, uh, Andrew, you're totally right. Like that original box put me off it forever. 
But see, it's you often learn the lesson best when you commit the crime yourself. So yeah. I, I, I guilt, guilty I, of it yourself. I've done my time staring at that god awful box for years, yeah. and it's a constant reminder. That's why I still have the box floating around the house just to remind me of the, my sins of, of previous life. Okay, so to get to his question, oh, man. he's got Walnut as the background, eBay or Teak. I don't, I mean, I think they're both going to be comparable. I think ultimately yeah. when this piece is done, those are going to disappear. I don't think you're going to see them very well. That might not be a bad thing. We're talking about how garish it might look to have a, you know, a, a starkly <laughs> contrasting maple plug, right? So right. both of those woods are going to take it in a darker color. You're going to get a little, you know, maybe a little bit of red tones coming in with like the eBay but I think it's still going to kind of blend in so much that you might not even notice them. And maybe that's not a bad thing. I think they're yeah, going to they're, blend they're even very more complimentary. as the walnut fades naturally too. Yeah. So you, they probably yeah. look exactly the same. Yeah, this is, If you this wanted is it to stand out, I think teak would be the better choice mm-hmm. <clears throat> just because, I mean, Ipe is almost brown to begin with and it's got some, some red and some green overtones, but it definitely goes much browner as it oxidizes. Yeah. Um, so it will probably disappear with a walnut. The teak may keep some of its golden color while, while it's a little streaky and maybe have some darker colors to it. As it oxidizes, it's going to get more of a honey brown to it. And if you, if you seal it right with a shellac or whatever, it would probably pop a little bit more. But then you have to be careful. You're, you're going lighter color against the darker contrast, which could actually might not work. Mm. If you wanted to go green and green, I would use an ebony plug or a, you know, an ebonized something. Yeah. Well, I've um, seen Daryl still pop more. Daryl Peart has used uh, Macassar ebony in some of his plug and spline work. And that tends to have a little bit more of the, the brown streaks in it, as opposed to just that like piano black look uh, that you typically get. And I got to say, I don't like it because a lot of times you, you get, you get the dark red, Today, all the things that Mark doesn't like. <laughs> Not my favorite. Mark's taking some stands today. <laughs> yeah, you got you to gotta take a stand sometimes. No more wishy-washy with, for Mark. Yep, I'm drawing the line here, guys. <laughs> um, so when you see like the, the dark red stained mahogany and you're expecting that dark black contrast, but then you get streaks of colors that almost look like the mahogany that are in the plug. And then your eye goes, where's the plug? Or where where is the spline? Because the lines kind of traverse through it and, it. and I don't think it looks very good. I mean, honestly, it's not that difficult to get a turning blank of ebony and just use ebony. So, I mean, he didn't he didn't allow for that as a possibility. Um, but if you're going right. through the trouble, you're making this thing. Um, I think you're going to be way happier with the end result if you just get yourself a little ebony blank and uh, cut that thing up. Well, and if it is a green and green piece, what's the defining element of green and green? Those plugs. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's kind of it. It's like quite a few yeah, things, but, but that's one. But, but really, I mean, if you had to rank them, I would say the plugs would probably be number one because because of that contrast. That's what pops and hits the eye first. Cloud lifts, sure, but cloud lifts are not on every green and green piece, depending right. upon Big which bungalow it was in. <laughs> no, I'm right, Matt. <laughs> Don't argue with me. I'm taking a stand. I, we need to be more argumentative to be a better show. I thought that's what it was, right? Yeah, lots Fair of drama. Okay. We, need, we need the drama. You are wrong, Shannon. <laughs> plugs are nothing. Yeah, well, they're nothing. You'll you can find plugs in any furniture style. Your your daughter's <laughs> better behaved than Mark's. And this wait, this you know, we all knew that is true. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny video. 
<laughs> it just it, it's it's an inside joke. If you only listen to this show and you don't follow us on social, uh, I posted a video on my Instagram account uh, showing the contrast between Matt's cute little daughter using his step stool and uh, my daughter who was picking a wedgie. And as she <laughs> went up to the now, yeah, now. and then she. <laughs> ran away screaming, which is kind of how most of my interactions occur with her these days. So <laughs> boy, does it change after a period of time anyway. All right. So yeah, um, uh, forget about that teak and, uh, that eBay stuff. Go get yourself some ebony, man. Do it right. Or don't do it at all. Right. <laughs> Sorry. That's got, it's got to mean, no, I, I just think it's going to get lost. I think it'll get lost if you don't push for that additional contrast. But anyway, let us know what you decide to do. Right, Unless who wants you to use an ingrain of- ePay plug. Oh, there you go. If it were ingrain, then it would darken. Well, actually, Sorry, I, just, I just beat that horse to death. But no, 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 no. That actually isn't a bad idea because ultimately when you make those plugs, you're typically starting with a stick. So many times yeah. the easiest thing to do is to get, I mean, when it's a big thing of just jet black ebony, you can't really even tell what's ingrain and what's face grain. Uh, right. But when you're cutting these out of other you know, species, end grain is the easiest thing to do. You cut the stick and then you slice the little pieces off. So it normally would right. be end grain anyway. So like people who haven't done, I sell a lot of eBay decking and you, people who do face screws and want them plugged. We actually sell face grain wood plugs mm-hmm. specifically because a lot of people don't quite think about it and they make end grain plugs yeah. and then they apply the finish and it just like jumps out and they're Look like, Whoa, what happened? You know? Yeah. So that would actually work if you were using, ePay, don't make face grain plugs, make ingrain plugs, and you're good to go. There you go. Problem right. solved. You don't need to buy ebony. See? No, just buy the ebony. Yeah, um, just, just buy ebony. Do it right. <laughs> Who wants to read some of these uh, band boy band names that we got this week? I'll do it. Why not? All right. Why not? Go for it. Um, and I know, I know we got quite a few of these submitted across a bunch of different platforms, and I just couldn't find them all. So if I missed you, I apologize. Feel free to write in and take a stance because that's apparently what we're all about today. Take a stand today. <laughs> stand for something. So Eric suggested new kids on the block plane. Interesting. <laughs> um, Josh wasn't real big on boy bands, just wanted to go with bands. So he came up with Tom Petty and the Heartwood Breakers, Stained, and just <laughs> 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 that one is kind of good. <laughs> These are pretty good. Uh, and then finally Jefferson hand plane, which I like that. That's fantastic. Um, and then Sterla with 98 degree miters. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. These are pretty good. I like it. I like it. Very, very, very nice. Feel free to keep that one going. We'll just keep reading them. Uh, I love them. They're fantastic. And, uh, yeah. we only got one Photoshop. It was great. So go check oh, out our, uh, wood, our wood talk show Instagram for the, uh, Photoshop of the three of us singing together. Like a bunch of crooners. Hey, I'm sawing. I don't know what you guys are doing. Sorry, you do have a... Well, we're That's the backsaw boys. You're helping so. me push. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a big log. I mean... It's uh, very aggressive teeth. <laughs> you got to get through it. <laughs> okay. Let's get to our main topic okay, today. We're going to yeah, talk about finishing. And uh, Shannon, I'm going to let you roll with this. Okay. Finishing. This is something that obviously everybody has questions about. You, If you want to start a flame war... Uh, You can talk about sharpening or you can say, what's your favorite finish? And people just go nuts. And I think what I, where I think we should start is kind of, I like to break it down into really two different types of finishes. There's finish that sits on the top and it forms a kind of a protective film. And then there's finish that actually soaks in, it penetrates into the wood. So like a, a pure oil, a boiled linseed oil is a penetrating finish that soaks in and it doesn't form any kind of 
really any kind of protective film. Whereas a varnish, it sits right on top and it forms, uh, dependent upon the varnish you use, a hard or harder um, protective film. So <clears throat> am I missing anything? It's really sits on top or it soaks in, right? That's really it. Those are the only types. Yeah, I think you could further subdivide things like that. But I sure, even, sure. even even with this set of like a, even this starting point, I still have a problem with it because even film finishes absorb into the wood, right? So like when you right. when you get these products, especially in the the home centers, right, where it's just a general audience kind of product, and it's like soaks into the wood and and nourishes the fibers, and it's like they all soak into the wood. It's just some <laughs> of them have a resin in it that hardens and some don't. So it, it it's a funny distinction to make. Um, but, right. but yeah, that if we're talking about how you want to classify these things, I think film forming and non film forming are the, the way I usually think of it. Uh, well, about and the really apparent film forming is like third, fourth coat, right? I mean, yes. that first coat, it doesn't matter what it is. The wood is so thirsty. It sucks it in really, really deep. And sometimes it'll be sweating out the other side of the board, you know, depending right. on how thick the board is and how big the pores are. But you could do that with boiled linseed oil all day long and you're not going to get, you know, a, a film buildup on the top. You're not going to get that. You know, if you go too far with poly, you get a plasticky look because sure. you, you've literally built up an eighth an inch of resin on top of the board. Right. right. You know, you're not going to get that guitar finish or that automotive finish using boiled linseed oil or, or <clears throat> real tongue oil. I used air quotes there for the, the for everybody. You got to be careful. not a video show. Um, <laughs> So that, that's the, the real distinction. The first couple of coats, no, but like if I'm using, you know, Armor Seal or Endurovar or, or a non-general finishes <laughs> branded finish. Wait, um, there's, there's other finish companies? I had no idea. Uh, apparently. <laughs> but for me, it's usually that third coat that you really start to see the build. Um, whether it's shellac, whether it's lacquer or varnish, it's that, well, lacquer I think builds a little faster, but then you're starting to see it build up on top. And you're starting to see that kind of glassy look to the surface, depending upon your, you know, between finish coat treatment. Mm -hmm. Whereas boil linseed oil or any oil, it's not really a protective finish. It's more of a nourishing finish because it soaks in. <laughs> it nurtures the wood from the inside. Oh boy. Yeah. I think <laughs> the biggest error I see, and this is entirely on the backs of the marketing people, is the word seal. I'm going to seal the wood. And it just doesn't happen because people get this impression. I hear it every day at the lumber yard. People get this impression that they put a finish coat on it, they seal it in, and then the wood won't move anymore. Like, right. No. Uh-uh. I think it, you could if you, like, encased it in, in epoxy. You know, like, like I have a, a, a paperweight with a, a locust in it from the 17-year locust that we get over here in Maryland. And, and that's encased in epoxy. It's fully sealed. Maybe that would happen with wood. Maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think sealing has its own definition within woodworking. Like folks who are in the know will say, okay, yeah, that, that has been sealed, but we don't actually mean completely encased in plastic. We mean right. it's sealed as much as that wood piece can realistically be sealed, but it's still going to breathe. It's still going to respond to environmental conditions. Right. Or you've actually sealed in like a color. You, you put down a dye. Right. So then you put a wash coat of shellac in order to kind of fix the pigment in place. So you don't, spooge it around when you put on your next wiping coat of whatever spooge. Oh boy. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about the sealer thing for a second, because that's one thing I hear a lot too, is that, Oh, I need to seal this before I apply the finish. 
right? That's something that we hear a lot. And people are like, well, can, can I just apply that polyurethane or should I put a sealer on first? And uh, generally speaking, every first coat of finish is the sealer, right? <laughs> and it's all a ploy to get you to buy more stuff. Yeah. I, well, I got it. Well, I mean, look, we love general finishes, but how about seal a cell and armor seal? <laughs> um, they are so uh, similar, you know, but I guess they're, the resin composition might be different. Uh, the amount of oil that went into the production of the varnish might be a little bit different. But ultimately, this is something I've, I've run tests in the past. And I used to do this. I used to have a can of each. And it was always something that uh-huh. you did. You, you do a couple coats of seal a cell, co- couple coats of armor seal, you're good. And then I started to realize after the test, I'm like, it looks no different. Like if I don't, so if I don't. Fault. It is, it's your fault. It's your fault I have a can of seal a cell. Yeah. I always wondered why I have this can. <laughs> it's it's Mars' fault. fault. I have but a good like, one for this too. Like things you bought and used that you really didn't need to. Uh, natural stain. <laughs> like, oh, because like when I first started woodworking, I'm like, oh, you got to stain everything, obviously. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I want to clear. So I guess I was buying this natural product it's called natural stain. Yeah. Literally no color. It's literally just uh, like a wash coat. So what is it? Just See, like now, Lindsay, I just admire the marketing people there. Like, that's a ballsy move. Good on you, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's, I'm pretty sure it's whatever they have in the stains without any pigment. So all the uh, oh, so now it's a sealer. varnish. Yeah, it's a sealer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a sealer. Now it's a, a stain sealer. stain sealer thing. Okay, I'm with you. Pigmented well, with stain. I guess there's, there, I don't there's know. a huge terminology problem. Like even oh when, yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> like when when Jason is talking about finishing, and we as long as he's worked with me in this past year, if I could get him to stop saying the word seal or stain, and he, he'll go stained, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we'll go to finish a piece and we're going to finish it with, let's say a clear hard wax oil. And he asked, okay, are we going to stain this piece? And I'm like, no, we're not going to stain it. He's like, oh really? We're not going to stain it. I was like, no, there's no, no stain. He's like, well, doesn't it need to have some kind of protection? Yeah, it'll have protection. Well, we're going to stain it. No, we're not going to stain it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like this who's on first conversation <laughs> because in his, in his mind and a lot of people in the general audience there in their mind, stain is finish, you know? So, it, but, right. but when you get a little deeper, you start to realize, no, stain is something that we refer to as imparting color. And if it doesn't impart color, then it's not staining. Which makes sense because stain like anywhere else in the world, like a laundry stain. Yeah. Like color is not supposed to be there. <laughs> Discoloration is a stain. Yeah, yeah. It's a, interesting. Terminology is rough in finishing. Take True. it into like True. deck finishes. That's where things get even worse. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's no like doubt. it's voodoo and black magic. What's going on with deck finishes. I look mm-hmm. at it and I'm like, I still don't know what the, what the. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. Plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Heck is in this can. <laughs> okay. Well, and there's an example where most of those finishes are a penetrating oil. 
like yeah. the good ones, they just soak in, you know, there's no protective film mm-hmm. over top. And I've had several people who've said, oh, well, I'm going to use this softer wood because the stain I'm going to apply will provide all the protecting I need. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no. Well, first of all, I guess if you use like a flooring polyurethane to some respect, but you want to see how fast that sucker's going to peel up. Yeah. <laughs> Give it one summer, it's going to start cracking and peeling. It's like painting your deck, you know. You right. want you want to guarantee a high level of maintenance, go for it. You know, that's going to be terrible. So most deck quote stains are just an oil. They just soak into the wood and some of them do have some pigment, um, but most of them you're right. It's, it's black magic. Who knows what's in there? They all say they've got UV inhibitors and high solid counts and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and now of course they're all <clears throat> Tosca title six compliant. So they, they don't have the, the nasty stuff in them before. So mm-hmm. does do they even work? I don't know. <laughs> so well, I, I always wonder why is it so confusing? I don't think finishing has to be this confusing. Is it just because there's chemistry and m- the marketing can allow us to pretend things are happening that aren't happening, or we can make it seem like it's more than it is because people aren't chemists and don't know the difference. I think, I mean, I think there's a general level of discomfort with most woodworkers. I mean, how many times you've heard the person say, okay, I spent, you know, 300 hours building this piece of furniture and I'm going to ruin it in 15 minutes. You know, there's this mindset that I'm, I'm prepared to fail, you know, finishing is hard. And most of us have screwed up a piece of at some point in our lives by applying finish. And you're like, Oh, Oh my God, what did I just do? Right. So there's a fear factor so that we're always looking for a solution. We're always looking for, you know, a simple varnish finish. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's going to cost you five cents, sir. (laughs) (laughs) We're looking for a simple solution. So of course, from a marketing perspective, you see, you know, uh, an audience out there looking for a, a simple solution. So, let's spin it this way or spin it that way. And there's 9,000 products that all claim to be better at this or this and this, and it just gets confusing. So we're always looking for that better product. Personally, when I started thinking of it in terms of, you know, soak in or lay on the top, things got a lot easier for me. And it was just, okay, here I'm trying to, you know, I'm soaking in and I'm trying to make either the figure pop or create a greater luster and depth to the wood. I'm using this film finish. I'm just trying to create a nice, smooth surface. It's not Mm -hmm. so much about gloss or matte. It's about a smooth surface. You know, it could be gloss or it could be matte, depending upon how you, how you rub it out. Had to be said, (laughs) you knew it was going to be said at some point in the show, right? Sure. So to me, that made things a lot simpler. Um, You know, yes, there's shellac and yes, there's lacquer and yes, there's poly and other varnishes. And that gets into what the finish is born upon. You know, is it alcohol-based? Is it is it mineral spirits? Is it lacquer thinner or is it water-based? That's a different subdivision. Mm-hmm. But just going into soak in or stay on the top, I think, made it a lot easier for me. That's a good point because I think if you look at penetrating finishes and the classification of what most of the oils would fall into, the behavior is going to be kind of similar. You're going to have to probably, well, you got a couple different ways. You apply it very, very thin or you soak it and then wipe off all the excess. Most of those finishes are not something you're just going to leave on the surface because uh, the way that they cure is, you know, they have to have access to oxygen. And if there's too much of a layer there, you're never going to get that happening. So you have to actually apply very thin Unless you want an extra grippy surface. That's right. Sometimes that can come in handy. You don't, (laughs) if you're doing stair treads, make them sticky. So uh, if you go to the film side of things, (laughs) yeah, if you go to, if you go to the film side of things, 
you're obviously laying these layers upon layers and they will dry a little bit faster and cure to the point that you can put the next coat on and it's building and building and building. So it is, it's a great way to divide it in your thoughts. And I find that what most people will confront once they do this, they go, okay, now I understand. Here's what an oil does. Here's what a film finish does. And then they go to buy something. And, the, the, <laughs> and then they and, go and buy that, a quote oil. <laughs> yeah. And that something says Danish oil and they go, okay, it's an oil, right? Well, sort of, you know what I mean? And then they go, they, they go to water locks and it's, you know, give, it makes you believe, so, uh, makes you believe this is like an old school oil finish. And you go, well, wait a minute. That's just wiping varnish. Ah, crap. Like there's, there's no water in this. <laughs> where's the water? <laughs> Where are the locks? Um, <laughs> so I think that's the problem. Like you, you want to make it this you simple. I never thought of that. Why do they call it water locks? <laughs> it's like grape nuts. No grapes, no nuts. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my God. Mind blown. <laughs> Why do they call it water locks? No water, no locks. What's the deal here? <laughs> well, here, I guess, how often do we just apply just an oil finish? Like on, on the typical furniture Food piece items. we build. <laughs> just okay. food items right i mean unless you're yeah, just uh, I mean, committed to an old school paradigm and you want to use an old school finish most of the to- uh, time you're going to put something other than just pure tongue oil or boiled linseed oil right well which is why i think the tongue oils and the danish oils of the world have evolved into an oil varnish blend yeah because the people were like you know this didn't protect worth the damn like, well no <laughs> oil doesn't yeah what did you oil expect doesn't it to form do? a protective layer so they they dropped a it started again as the marketing guy saying, let's make our product better. Let's say it protects better. And they dropped like, three drops of resin in there. You know, and it's got just a tiny bit. No one will notice, but it's, it's more durable than, you know, brand X. And then yeah. brand X came along and put six drops of varnish in there. Now, now tongue oil is 99% varnish. <laughs> and we just one little slice of, of cow tongue or I don't know what kind of tongue they use in tongue oil it's from a tree, right? <laughs> Not actually tongue. That's, that's good. I think there's, uh, I forget which brand it is. There's one that I think is the biggest offender here. I think it's Formby's tongue oil, which has absolutely no like late no added oil content to it. It's just a diluted varnish. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And it, so, I mean, if you're buying oils, you really want to look at what it says. If it just says tongue oil finish, that is probably not just going to be tongue oil. Uh, it's most likely, like Shannon was saying, some sort of combination, or in some cases, just the wiping varnish. What you're looking for is a label that says 100% pure tongue oil. It's the only time that thing is actually going to be tongue oil. Maybe, right? Hopefully, if you're lucky. I mean, who knows? But anyway, I guess they could just I guess my lie. point is, is <laughs> most of the time, if you're applying that 100% tongue oil, most of the time you're following it up with something else. Like you put the tongue oil in in order to get that that color and that pop and that luster into the wood. And then you top coat it yeah. with a film finish. So I think, <clears throat> I mean, obviously you've also got this continuum of cheaper products and, and more premium products where they use a higher quality of resin, a more refined uh, um, solvent and things like that. And, you know, I do think in some respects you are getting what you pay for, some respects, mm-hmm. like we'll say 30% of it. Um, when this product is $30 more expensive, there's probably a reason. You know, if you're inside that $10 range, this one's $10 more than that, then that might be smoke and mirrors a little bit. But when you see that dramatic price difference, there generally is a quality of product difference there. It's one of the reasons you could look at like general finishes, their stuff is not cheap, but it's really high quality. 
as compared to, well, I mean, even looking at a brand like Minwax, they've got a variety of products that cross this entire spectrum of pricing, you know, from cheap to really expensive. And it's the same brand, mm-hmm. you know, but it's their, their higher performance, higher quality um, uh, product. So th- there is that aspect of things, but I, I don't know. I, I'm starting to wonder how important the whole just oil side of things is because most of us end up top coding anyway. So I guess you, unless you really like using like multiple, multiple steps, I'm pretty simple. I like a simple varnish finish. <laughs> I like to have one can mix it if necessary, but dump it into a cup and apply it. However I want to apply it and, you know, repeat until done. That's, that's my style of finishing. Well, I think there are, there are people who are going and I'm one of them who are kind of going backwards in terms of level of protection, complexity of finish, uh, going for things that maybe have fewer harmful chemicals, zero VOC or low VOC finishes, things like that. So there, there may be, you know, not everyone is, is doing that second top coat on top of those oils. Um, so let, let's get into some of our favorite finishes that we're, we're using now. I think it's, uh, uh, relevant to what we're talking about. So I have been moving into a lot of the hard wax oils. I've been using things like Rubio a lot and Osmo, and it's just a stage of my life. It's weird because I, I remember back in the day having um, tongue in cheek arguments with uh, a gentleman named Rob Boas. You guys remember him? <laughs> yeah. And he was a big yeah. fan of a classic like linseed oil and wax finish. BLO and wax. Right. And yep. I used to make fun of him and I'm like, yeah, double boiler thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, so are you ever going to apply finish to that project? Or are you just going to put that crap on it? You know? So I used to mess with them all the time. Cause I really did, uh, subscribe to the whole, um, you know, simple varnish finish concept and using mostly armor seal or uh, wipe on poly. And, um, okay. sorry, my wrist is buzzing call from my neighbor. Let's, Experience. let's just call it what it is. It's the David Marks woodwork finish. Yeah. <laughs> well, even the, the, the uh, quote, uh, tongue oil tongue that David oil. used. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's start there because the, the, right. that it was the first example of someone saying, I'm going to, I'm going to use tongue oil. And then you go, well, crap. Like, is there even tongue oil in that can? You realize was years it later, armor seal. Yeah. He was just using armor seal or, <laughs> right. or seal a cell. I don't know which one it is. Uh, but that's not the impression you got. You got this like hand rubbed oil luster thing going on. And that's not what it was. It was just varnish, you know? So anyway, I, I personally am veering much more into, not because it's better, you know, not because it's, uh, it's more protective. It's just fitting my desire, my lifestyle, the things I want to do with finishing right now. These hard wax oils are, uh, tickling my pickle. This wow. episode, I'm telling how's you. That, how's that image for you? Um, wow. That's but pretty good. Matt, Matt, I know you are still a hundred percent on the wiping varnish train right now. I am. Yeah. Choo choo. so have you been tempted at all i mean you just did this outdoor uh, bench you tried a few new things with that one have the you know the new world of hard wax oils tempted (laughs) you at all Uh, i don't i mean those aren't really like actual hard wax oils though i tried well yeah for the outdoor bench right yeah i mean the the one thing i like them it's okay. Well, it's okay. They can one be thing what I they liked are. About you don't it was have like, to wax those, those are all flood, flood on oil finishes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, just slap this crap on here. Just slap it on and then just you're done. Slap it on, yeah. So that was kind of nice from like a less stressful, but I don't know. I'm one of those weirdos that actually enjoys the finishing process. Yeah. It's kind of calming and yeah, relaxing. I'm with you. I don't know. Um, I'm with you on that. So, I actually like sanding between coats. 
I'm really weird that way. Oh, I like the that's the worst the powder that I get between coats. Very cool. Very fun. I don't find it to be like difficult either. Like people seem to complain about that. I'm like, it's not really like how much time did you spend building this and you can't give it a little rubby, a little rub down, <laughs> a little rubby rub. I mean, come on. How long does it take you? I don't know. Uh, I, I just yeah. enjoy the process. It's a nice change of pace. And I know like for a couple of days, like the shop was in finishing mode. And now I have to do is just go out there and rub a piece of sandpaper on some wood and then wipe it down with the rag and then wipe it down with a rag with some uh, finish on it. Mm-hmm. And then right. Well, I mean, just day. that transformation is so satisfying, right? You know, you sand it and you get that dull, like white powdery surface and then you wipe it down and it looks a little bit better. And then you wipe that next coat of finish on. And it's like, Ooh, well, so that's you're what talking, that, you're talking my language here. Oh, the funny yeah. thing, like you get Sweet that, satis- you. you get that satisfaction in the first five seconds. And I think that's where people are like, Oh, that looks beautiful. But then they don't want to deal with it after that. <laughs> right. Like you, oh. you, got, you got the hit that you oh. needed. <laughs> Now they got to go lay down and relax. <laughs> In one breath, it goes from, oh. <laughs> oh that's crazy. <laughs> well, Matt, I would the be The ultimate really, attention deficit disorder right there. Yeah. I'd be really interested to get your opinion on, you know, like a Rubio or Osmo finish. So I'm, I'm more interested in seeing like how it performs over time, mm-hmm. I guess. Because yeah. at least for me, well, like from the a- stuff I finished with the kids, like the finish I and mean, the wood underneath takes a beating. The finish still looks fine. Even though like yeah. the pieces dent to the crap and you know, whatever, but the finish hasn't well, failed. I mean, these products have been around in the commercial sector for some time. Yeah. I mean, Rubio is definitely not a new thing. And I've got I've got client after client who's been using it a lot, but that may not be the best judge because in the commercial sector, they go through stuff really fast. Um, because they expect a higher level of wear and tear. So like Rubio's been used a lot on like uh, tables and restaurants but they're constantly refinishing those things because of the sheer volume of wear. I think the real test is going to be in the average household dining table, mm-hmm. you know, that, that is supposed to last 20, 30 years. I don't, yeah. I mean, obviously they haven't been around that long, but from an, from a commercial space, I don't know the exact year, but it's more than five years that these finishes have been in widespread use. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I is think. a lot of it is in flooring. So when people have questions about durability, they go, well, this is a floor finish, but it is not the same thing that you might be used to when you see a shiny floor, right? It's not layers and layers right. of finish. It's a finish, as you were saying, Shannon, that can be repaired. And I think that's the, the joy yeah. of it. There is protection enough to handle spills and mild abrasion, but it is not a thick protective layer. So it's something that is actually relatively easy to reapply and retreat a surface. So if you're talking about a high wear surface, this is if one of those things. Dogs. What's that? If you have dogs, you oh, yeah. love it. Dog nails. I mean, this is something where you can refresh your floor without stinking your, you know, having to go to a hotel for a couple yeah. days to let the, the house off gas. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's why that appeal for me. Same thing with the kids, Matt. Um, the kids are beating everything up. So what do I want to do? Do I want to, at some point in five years, try to scrape off and completely remove the finish so that I could you know, do it again? Or do I want to spot treat as I go and maybe stave off a full refinishing yeah. Um, I may not need to do that because I can kind of spot treat if I need to. If I have to like actually refinish, it's like got to go down a bare wood and I got to go past that to get all these dents and scratches out because right, not yeah. the finish is not the problem with the kids. It's the actually underlying wood. Well, and that's one of the funny things people talk about, you know, the thick finishes and have this impression that a couple coats of wiping varnish is going to stop dents and scratches. And the only thing that's going to stop dents and scratches is the density of the wood you used. Right. That right. finish is not strong enough for, 
you know, to resist a ballpoint pen writing on it. It all will dent straight through that finish. Well, so no so yeah, finish I mean, will resist a hammer, an actual hammer. <laughs> that's true. For children. I have that to deal with someday. <laughs> but now it's a <laughs> nice. distressed look, right? So Oh, that's that's the best part. Like everyone's like People worry so much about like their piece of furniture coming out of the shop absolutely perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going into a house that's going to be like it's interacted with people. <laughs> usually people touch it. It's going to get dinged up, even yeah. you know, regardless if you have kids or not. But if you have kids, even more so. So just because <laughs> it, I couldn't get a little piece of tear out out of the surface of a, ta- a, t- a tabletop, not going to matter in a year because no one's yeah. looking at that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And if another woodworker points it out, blame your kid. Yeah, that's right. You oh, did you see that? tower? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> kids and dogs man they're brutal yeah my my in-laws had a ball and claw foot eaten by a dog and now it's now it's a trifid foot i had i recarved it and it's a trifid foot and we did it on purpose like there's there's three ball and claw feet on this dining table and one trifid foot (laughs) and and my father-in-law loved it he's like oh i love that it makes it unique i was like well you know the story there is too much of the ball was eaten away so now it's a trifid foot (laughs) that's nice all right. Well, I don't know how deep, how much deeper we want to go into this. So we, we good at this point. Um, we could dive deep into so many different yeah. areas of this conversation, but I don't know how far we want to take it today. I think is it just kind of, we wanted that to be an overview, a very like realistic overview to help you not get caught in this trap of like just the minutia of these finishes. It really can be simple, but sometimes you just got to ask someone who might know more than you. Hey, what actually is in this finish? And then once you know what it is, then you kind of know what to do with it. And I think, and I think go ahead, Matt. I was going to say the best, I think we've kind of said in the past, but the best advice is like, find the finish you enjoy applying the most and gives you the best results. Yeah. And like, there you go. That's your Find finish. your rut and embrace it. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Michael Dresner gave me that advice uh, when I, I think I interviewed him. I don't know what year it was, but uh, he, he's written a finishing book and has done a lot of seminars on finishing. And it was that question, what finish should I use? And the answer, the simplest answer was the one you can apply like <laughs> successfully, because that's the thing. Sometimes you don't know how to apply these other finishes, but you, you know, you get good results with this other one. Well then don't experiment on your, your thing that you spent three months building, <clears throat> experiment on shop furniture and then apply that, that knowledge to a finished piece so that you're not disappointed in the results. And this is why I buy Undurovar in a gallon can and not the quartz. There you <laughs> go. <clears throat> at a boy, but, but, and I, who am I to, to say anything contrary to, to the finishing gurus out there? I do think a way to help you understand it is to experiment a little. And if you are building those smaller kind of keepsake style projects, um, where you can just go out and buy a, a small little pint of something. Um, I really used to be afraid of lacquer. I mean, lacquer is, is quite toxic and nasty. Um, but man, does it make a great finish on like a small box? Mm-hmm. Um, well, again, depending, you know, if you want to do like all, you know, close to the wood, Matt Kinney style, no, not so much lacquer there. But yeah. if you, you're looking for a, a little bit more of a higher gloss look, lacquer can be great. Lacquer's fantastic for kitchen cabinets. I mean, it's like the, it's the finish in the cabinet world. Mm-hmm. And I, I just used it a little bit. It started easy with like an aerosol can. I was like, okay, starting to get a feel for this. And then I got some, not an aerosol can and I applied it via HVLP. And, you know, when the, the, the stakes are low, like you're saying, Mark, if you're, you know, apply a nice finish to your shop furniture, people are like, well, it's shop furniture. Like, well, yeah, but this is my proving ground. Yeah. This is where I'm learning how to use shellac or learning how to use lacquer. And you start to understand 
the subtle differences and why this is like my favorite finish for boxes, you know, mm-hmm. or my favorite finish for cabinetry. Because for me, if I had to, I would say Endurovar. That's the finish that I use. I love it I, I, because I can apply it really well with a brush, with a rag. I can spray it on. It all works great. But it's not, I can't just say that's my end all be all. That's my number one finish because mm-hmm. I really like using shellac in a lot of instances. So, sure. you know, certainly there's something to be said about find that finish and embrace, embrace your rut. Um, but you may still remain a little bit confused yeah. until you actually get some firsthand experience. Um, I didn't understand the whole hard wax thing until I used Osmo one time. And I was like, okay, now I get it. You know, right. so it's an expensive thing to do. No doubt. These things are not cheap. That's why I say small projects and try to buy them in the small little cans. But you, you learn a lot just in the actual process of, of applying it and or screwing up. Sure. So, you know what? Let us know, folks, if there's something specific you want us to go into more depth on. You know, if we touched on something that was interesting or something you feel we can kind of riff on for a little while, let us know. Anything anything but Mark Tickling is Pickle. We don't want to go into that anymore. Right. And I've been waiting. I've been waiting all morning to say lacquer. I hardly know her. (laughs) All right. So you guys, you guys know. (laughs) Why am I here? (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys know who else likes to rub stuff until it's shiny? Um, well, we've already talked about your pickle, so (laughs) I'm going to guess Rockler. Yes, it's Rockler. All right. Look, I got to give, I got to give Shannon credit. He wrote that. That wasn't my joke the the rockler thing anyway that just shows that just shows that i'm less mature than you that's right i just had to deliver it that's all not something to be proud of (laughs) (laughs) i'm not proud of this (laughs) (laughs) oh boy okay so rockler has everything you need for your finishing projects they sell a wide variety of finishes from general finishes we talked about them a lot today old masters sam maloof trans tint water locks and walrus oil plus a whole bunch more i'm actually on their page right now and they pretty much have everything i could possibly need even for, um, you know, turnings, you're turning some bowls, you want some food safe stuff. They got that Mahoney's walnut oil, which is pretty good stuff. Uh, they have a HVLP system, uh, which actually features Erlex technology. I have had Erlex sprayers in the past. They are fantastic. Talk about like bang for your buck. HVLP Erlex is the way to go. And that's what Rockler's um, system employs uh, designed with simplicity and versatility in mind. The Rockler finishing sprayer is the ideal solution for anyone wanting a smooth, professional-quality finish in very little time. Uh, it looks like there's actually a sale on that through 528. So we're going to put that link in our show notes if you want to go take advantage of that. Now, this is something that I, again, Rockler has all these little tidbits and little Easter eggs and things hidden in their site. Maybe it's not hidden. Maybe I just haven't looked hard enough. You but just don't go there enough. <clears throat> yeah, but I was really impressed with this. They have six simple finishing recipes on their website. Uh, They say creating a flawless finish can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be. Take the mystery out of wood finishing and avoid costly and frustrating mistakes with these simple recipes. Each recipe includes a video demonstration, step-by-step instructions, and a list of product recommendations that will give you the confidence to create a perfect finish for your next project. So we're going to put the link in the notes, but it is rockler.com slash six dash. Okay, it's a dash between all these words, but the number six simple finishes recipes. So we'll put that link there for you. Um, I've watched a few of them, and it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. They've got geez, a truck dragging something in the the cul-de-sac over here. <laughs> so <is it> <clears throat> my God, what is he, what is going on over there? 
uh, stain an finish. Actual flaming dumpster. That's good. It's like it could be <laughs> just dragging a dumpster across the uh, the street. Uh, natural finish for close grained hardwoods. A natural finish for softwoods. A satin finish for highly figured woods. Painting wood projects. Stain finish for closed grain hardwoods and stain finish for open grain hardwoods. So really well done. You want to go check that out. Those are some of the most common things you're going to come across. Uh, so do they have a natural stain finish? Uh, yeah, buy this natural stain and watch nothing happen. <laughs> anyway, it's so the Cremona finish. That's right. <laughs> so pretty much everything you need to get your finishing done. And also my favorite part, the education behind these finishes and how to apply them. That's all at rockler.com. And thank you for sponsoring the show, Rockler. We appreciate it. Good stuff. I Good. did not know about that either. Very yeah. cool. It's very, very cool. All right, so I've got a quick voicemail here. We're going to get into some voicemail questions as well as a couple of emails. Uh, let's see. This is from Phil. Hi, Mark Chan and Matt. This is Phil from Western New York. I've got a question for you guys regarding glue-ups, specifically marking individual pieces. Uh, I'm currently working on a table and putting in some rails and, and skirts, and I've got a lot of through mortars and tenons. And I accidentally sanded off my markings on the legs right at glue up. And just when I was about to glue, I just realized that there was glue everywhere and inevitably made mistakes. So it's not the first time that's happened to me. And I would like it to be the last time. <laughs> but my question is for you guys, uh, what method do you use for complex glue ups? How do you mark your pieces? And... More especially as you're close to glue up, when you need to do the final sanding, how does it look? And uh, any advice would be great. I'd love to hear what you guys do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, this is something I find fun. I find it sometimes challenging, right? You think it's as easy as writing, okay, this is part number A and there's part number B. And you put all these marks on it. And then you realize as you start to, you know, mill these pieces down, you keep taking off the marks you just put on there. So then eventually you start to realize, well, maybe the end grain, the end grain might be the best place for me to put this because once I cut something to length, uh, typically that end grain is going to be thrown into a mortise or something like that. You're never going to see it. So you could just take a big old fat Sharpie and put your marks on that. But he's talking about through mortise and tenons. Now that end grain isn't really a place where you could do that. So my favorite places to mark my material, if possible, a tenon cheek is a great place to, to put a letter or a number or an arrow or whatever mark you need to put there. If that's not available for whatever reason, Won't that interfere with the glue. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. And let's do a whole show about it. All right. Oh, please. Uh, so Won't if that for, pencil that interfere, of course it does. <laughs> Everyone knows it does. Uh, so if that doesn't work, then I am probably going to use a little bit of masking tape, just blue tape. So if I have a surface that's been sanded and now I'm doing a final assembly, I can't access the tenons or I can't see the marks on the tenons. A lot of times just a little tiny thumb sized piece of blue tape and a mark on that with a letter or a number is something that is non-damaging, very easy to put on the surface, very easy to take off and it's easy to keep track of everything. That's a good one. I like that. So that, that is what I would do um, to, to just kind of keep the marks in place, follow it through the project. But uh, it is sometimes comical how many times I will put a mark on a board only to cut it away, sand it away, and have to to put it back on there. So you guys do anything differently? Not really. I always mark on the joint itself, like where I'm going to apply the glue. Um, <clears throat> and like on, in the instance, like you say, a through mortise and tenon, 
I'll actually mark the shoulder of the mortise because the shoulder of the tenon will cover it up. <clears throat> but the only issue there is a lot of times the marks tend to be kind of small. Yeah. So that works for me now, but I'm 45 now. I've just started to notice the whole like close up vision thing kicking in. Uh -huh. So while that works for me now, give me another couple of years. I may need to come up with bright colored solution. I have a lot of hand tool school students who swear by using little colored dots like stickers um, which is the oh, fancy cool. version of blue tape, basically. Sure. Yeah. But they, they use the colored dots not only as a, as a mark, but like line up the colors. Red dot goes with red dot, blue dot with blue dot, et cetera. It's, it's the ultimate in, in, you know, assemble the dots to, to assemble your furniture. But I know a lot of people who use it now. So, yeah, just go out and buy your colored sticky dots. Cool. Excellent. What about you, Matt? Uh, usually I'll move the marks to the end grain after I've done my cross cutting. And then if I do like joinery, then I'll move them to the tenons. I'm not, basically I move my marks around a lot, but in the end, like most pieces, like you have at least one face that you're never going to see anyway. Right. So I'll mark that or I don't know if it's like a case glue up or something like you mark the individual pieces on the faces and you sand it anyway. Once the glue up is complete in your sanding. So it's like a carcass. Mm -hmm. Like the marks for the side, top, bottom are going to be on the show faces because that box is going to be dovetailed together. Then I'm going to sand the whole thing outside anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. That's good. I don't know. I work through it. <laughs> you, you get it done. Well, you figure it yeah. out. I, I think the other thing to think about is maybe break the assembly up into smaller sub assemblies. Like if it's so confusing and trying to keep all these parts together, maybe don't try to assemble them all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like sub assemblies. You know, yeah. So, and, and that, that's a very common issue with me. We're like, oh man, you know, this peak, this part goes into that part. And especially because I build everything by hand, there is no, like this tenon will fit into every mortise. No, <laughs> that tenon only fits that one mortise because it was hand custom fit there. You know, that's the nice way of saying it. It was custom fit to that particular <laughs> mortise. <laughs> they are unique. So that tenon must go in that mortise. And if it gets too confusing, I will just glue up like, you know, one face frame and clamp it and, you know, just leave it. So I don't have so many parts to keep track of in other words. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Good idea. All right, Matt, you're up. All right. This one is from Elliot McCrory, who also gave us some nice phonetic spelling. That's always helpful. Super helpful for me. Appreciate it. <laughs> I, so I like, especially that he did L E ut <laughs> as Ut. if that was the one you would get hung up on. You no, know, you never know with me. That's true. Yeah. Keep it fresh. All right. Uh, Elliot asks or says or says something to us in text. How do y'all feel about using automotive clear coat as the final finish for a piece of furniture? There are a lot of ways to get a pure high gloss final finish for sure. Mark said you have a good YouTube from six or seven years ago about rubbing out finish. <laughs> and I don't have the right tools for that. Ha ha ha. And have you seen the price of the, a rotten stone recently? I have I'm not actually I have no idea how much they even cost. Mm -mm. It's just that there are so many products for making your car gleam. It should like. It seems like a great untapped option to me. I have I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I mean, what is it like? It's a, like a. Well, is he talking about the top coat or is he talking about buffing? Because the, right. like, yeah, 
Originally, it sounded like final coat, right? Well, it's originally it sounded like he was talking about the finish, and then he started talking about rotten stone, which is a treatment you do post finish um, to right. to make it even More shinier, stone. right? So if he's talking about automotive products for buffing and polishing, those are products we use. And I'm pretty sure the video that I did on it showed the use of those products. I think he's talking about like actual finish, like. So whatever, true, whatever that stuff is, that um, automotive clear coat, or whatever, yeah, whatever that, that stuff actually. Yeah, is. I forget it now. But yeah, anyway, it's special fancy stuff for spraying on cars. But and he's worried about the price of rotten stone. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine automotive clear coat comes, you know, at a bargain. I well, also I imagine the application. Uh, and I guess can, any HVLP gun would spray it. Maybe? Right. I mean, well, I can know. can we get it? Is it safe well, to spray it? <laughs> is it? I mean, you get a rattle can, I guess. But then, like, back to the cost thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't well, know. I mean, I think that stuff like that is being experimented with, um, with like solid body guitars. Um, oh, absolutely. So somebody has thought about it and said, hey, you know, I love the finish on my, you know, my, my, my Trans Am. So I don't know why <laughs> yeah. Trans Am came to yeah. mind. There's just something about it. So now I'm going to pay my solid body guitar with the same thing, you know. Um, I mean, isn't it just a, a faster building, really, really hard drying finish? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But the I have it, stable. I was yeah. going to say that the UV is a, a obviously a, a serious thing that's happening and and cars are really good compared to like we talk about this all the time with outdoor finishes how the sun is going to kill it. Well, think about a, a car sitting out made of metal, you know, fiberglass depending, but it's just baking in the sun. <laughs> and yeah, eventually finishes will fail, but how long does it take for that finish to fail? So, I got to I got to think whatever is on that car a little bit different than what we're usually using for, for furniture. Yeah. It may be proprietary. It could very you well know. be. Well, or let us know. I mean, and, obviously yeah. Elliot, we know nothing about this. So <laughs> if anybody does know something about this, uh, give us some feedback, uh, send us a voicemail. I'd love to, to know more about this. There could be something to it. Use that stuff on my, uh, my kitchen counters. Boom, baby. <laughs> be nice. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up today. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Do we want to, uh, Shannon does the contact info. I won't do that. All right. So, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so remember we are proudly sponsored by our friends over at Rockler. Rockler is a family owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finished supplies, hardware, lumber, and of course, expert advice and finishing tips. Uh, whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success, except for car finishes. Uh, visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, it's all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over 39 bucks. Very nice. Well, and thank you to everybody who's sending in questions and topics this week. And boy band names, we love that. It's always nice to, to hear from you guys. So please keep doing that. If you go to woodtalkshow.com, there's a contact form you can use there, or you can go to Instagram. We're also there at woodtalkshow, and you can reach out via that way, or you can record a voice memo and send it in to us at woodtalkshow at gmail.com. And of course, you can find all three of us hanging out over there. Um, Matt Cremona, Wood Whisperer, and Renaissance Woodworker are our in Instagram taggy thingies. And this week, we want to see the finish that you are most proud of. You know, what, what's, or more for that matter, what is the one finish you can apply to, to go back earlier <laughs> in this conversation? And why? Why do you like it? And most importantly, if you've used an automotive finish on a piece of furniture, 
tell us all about it. We want to see it. So post it anywhere. Use the hashtag WoodTalk472. Anywhere. Anywhere. I'm going to post TikTok, a picture. Snapchat. Okay. No, don't use TikTok. Um, <laughs> I'm going to post a picture of an automotive finish and just take a picture of my truck. Can there we you go. I didn't apply it, but it is an automotive finish. Did you get that undercoating? Right. Got to get that undercoating. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Sorry, and Matt. That was a shot against your people. I liked it. Oh, jeez. Felt right. safe. Uh, can, I, can I finish the show now? I got a, I got a brisket on the grill. I need to get to it. So uh, I'm going to mm. go now. Yeah. I got to get to Mark's house. Meet before right. friends. Got it. That's it. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. See ya. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.